Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome back to Teen Titans Wasteland. I hope you're enjoying whatever pursuits are filling your days. What have I been up to? Ah, you know, chilling out, reading some Ranger Rick magazine. Typical bad boy shit. My friend Lee got me a subscription to Ranger Rick. It's pretty dope. It's, I think it was meant as a joke, but honestly, it's about the level of science that I'm really enthusiastic about. You know, animal fun facts, stuff like that. What's weird is the cover of the latest issue had a picture of a puffin on it, and it said puffin stuff. And I was like, are they making a drug reference on the cover of Ranger Rick? Or are they making a reference to the 70s show HR puffin stuff, which I gotta believe was a drug reference. Anyway, that's what I've been up to. You guys want to talk about some Teen Titans? That's probably what you came here for. All right. Well, let's give the people what they want. You're great at raising juniper berries, a real gin crop whiz. Well, let's get boozed up and read a synopsis. Synopsis. Teen Titans number 31. February 1971. To order is to destroy. Written by Steve Skeets. Drotted by George Tuska. Teen Titans Roll Call. Speedy, Wonder Girl, Mal, Lilith, Kid Flash. Johnny Adler is a student at Alfred University. He has an appointment with a school psychologist and a sweet, sweet mustache. As he is waiting for his session, he overhears the psychologist, Dr. Pauling, recommend a rather unconventional treatment to the student he is currently treating for general anxiety. A brain operation. Just a minor one where he attaches a computer chip to the patient's brain that will strengthen certain thought patterns and make it easier to concentrate. No big deal. For some reason, the idea of elective brain surgery is unappealing to Johnny, who freaks out and flees Dr. Pauling's waiting room. Seems like he should have been at least a little bit freaked out by the fact that the receptionist and whoever happens to be in the waiting room is welcome to listen in on the entire therapy session. But whatever. Once he gets outside, he notices that most of the students he encounters are creepily well-behaved and are acting all stepfordy. He speculates as to how many of them have received Dr. Pauling's treatment. A few weeks later, Wally West is visiting Alfred's campus with his absent-minded grandfather, Professor Ira West. While Ira is delivering his lecture, Wally notices a group of students attacking Johnny. I guess that vow the Titans took not to use their powers is no longer a thing, because without a second's hesitation, Wally changes into his Kid Flash uniform and uses his super speed to rescue Johnny from his would-be assailants. After the stripling speedster whisks Johnny away to a shack out in the woods, where the beleaguered undergrad has been hiding out, the mustachioed malcontent informs his rescuer of the therapy session he overheard, and tells him that, soon thereafter, Pauling sent the campus police and brainwashed students to hunt him down. Unable to pass through the campus to get help, Johnny has been stuck in this shack for weeks and ran out of food days ago. Kid Flash is sympathetic, but also wary that Johnny might be bonkers, so rather than take the kid off campus, he tells him to stay put and gets him a bunch of groceries. Thanks? The next day, Wally fills the rest of the Titans in on the situation. They decide to investigate the campus. Because their colorful costumes, which they now wear whenever they feel like it, would attract too much attention, they decide to wear their matching jumpsuits. Way to stay low-key, guys. After standing around the campus in their jumpsuits just long enough to garner the suspicion of the nefarious Dr. Pauling and his co-conspirator, the nameless president of the university, the Titans decide to change into their superhero costumes and check in on the shack where Kid Flash last saw Johnny. When they arrive, it turns out that Johnny is gone and the shack is in shambles. Figuring Pauling and his followers were behind the disappearance, the teens change back into their totally inconspicuous matching jumpsuits and head back to campus. Astoundingly, the Titans do not blend in, 
and Pauling gives an order over the loudspeakers he has installed all over the campus to attack the not-so-camouflaged quintet. One of the assailants, a clean-shaven, dark-haired lad, looks strangely familiar. He looks kind of like... Oh no, it couldn't be. Pauling, this time you've gone too far. Mentally enslaving a bunch of undergrads is one thing, but that son of a bitch just stole Johnny's mustache. Fuck that guy. Oh, and I guess he did the brain surgery thing on him, too. The Titans do their best to defend themselves from the zombified students, but the tide is beginning to turn against them. Suddenly, an order is given over the loudspeakers for the attack to stop. Turns out the brave and tragically bare-faced Johnny managed to fight Pauling's mental control and force the psychotic psychologist to rescind his orders. Just before he passes out from a combination of the mental strain of resisting Pauling's control and the separation anxiety he no doubt is feeling for his sweet, sweet stash, Johnny manages to pull the wires out of the dictatorial doctor's microphone. Without a means to broadcast his orders to his undergrad underlings, Pauling is soon apprehended and arrested for malpractice and conspiracy, and presumably grand theft facial hair. Seriously, do you have any idea how long it takes a teenager to grow a decent mustache? Fuck that guy. Then we have a backup feature, From 1 to 20, written by Steve Skeets, drotted by George Tuska, featuring Hawk and Dove. Hank Hall is out patrolling the alleyways of whatever city he lives in when he spots something very suspicious, someone purchasing a poetry magazine. Naturally, Hank does what any red-blooded American would do noticing such a sinister transaction and starts spying on the apparent poetry aficionado through binoculars. A closer look reveals that there's something even more unusual about this exchange. The magazine is purchased with a $1 bill, but the vendor gives $20 in change. Convinced that this activity must be a crime of some sort, Hank changes into his superhero costume and follows the periodical purchaser as Hawk. Before long, the costume teen witnesses his suspect being detained at gunpoint. Hank isn't sure what's going on and figures the best way to get to the bottom of this situation is to start yelling at the gunmen and punching them. Good thinking, Hank. Unfortunately, this seemingly foolproof plan somehow backfires, and Hank gets bopped on the head and knocked out. A bit later, he is found unconscious lying in the alley by his good-for-nothing peacenik brother Don, a.k.a. Dove. Hank fills Don in on the confusing events of the evening, and the two decide to return to the newsstand where all this malarkey started. Good thinking. If nothing else, they can chastise the vendor for carrying poetry magazines. That sort of publication has always attracted the wrong element. When the brothers arrive at the kiosk, they witness the same transaction that had transpired earlier that evening. The sinister poetry fan purchasing a magazine for $1 and being given $20 as change. Dove immediately deduces that the vendor and his customer are part of an elaborate, needlessly complicated scheme to distribute counterfeit money. Sure, why not? The pacifist crime fighter leaps into inaction and politely asks the criminals to stop doing crime. The criminals decline, so Hawk beats them up. Hooray. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going swell. How are you going? I'm doing okay. So, what'd you think? Not as weird or out there as... I'm sorry, that noise means that there were, in fact, protest signs in this issue. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. When I saw the cover of it, I thought, oh, Hub will be delighted. This issue will be full of picket signs. Mm, Yeah, Hub was delighted. I'm sorry, I'm Hub. I was delighted. (laughs) But the cover of the issue is somewhat misleading as to the issue's content. There are a bunch of picket signs on it. They're fairly generic picket signs. 
mm-hmm. basically up with love, down with war. Yeah, war's bad. War's bad, peace mm-hmm. is good. Yep. Love's nice. Yeah. Hooray. All sentiments I fully agree with. Yeah. But inside the issue, it's interesting to me at least that the focus of the issue is that the lack of political unrest on the campus is the cause of concern, mm. which is rather the opposite of what the cover would imply. Indeed. Anyway, sorry to have interrupted. No problem. What'd you think? Well, yeah, I mean, I did, that really gets at what's going on in this in this issue. It's a, it's a good discourse on the man pushing down the, the freedoms of those rebellious college students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, turns out that's not such a good thing for uh, America. Well, at least not if they use brain surgery to do so. There's no, a I mean, very cavalier attitude towards brain it's, operations. It's, it's a in good this argument issue. for not lobotomizing your population. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, don't don't do that. Yeah, don't lobotomize people no. or even attach computer chips to their brains. And also, it's it's a good story of like when one like totally crazy person is able to influence somebody in a position of power. Mm-hmm. So, Doctor Pauling, who's the guy that's like, we need to effectively lobotomize all these students in a way that makes them susceptible to loudspeaker control Mm -hmm. has got the university president. He's like, you can't have unrest on your campus. So I've got to remote control all your students' brains. And the president's like, well, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense to me. We find out later that Pauling had helped get him, gotten him elected as the acting president. We find out he's also only the acting president. It's kind of a fancy. Yeah. But he also wanted to keep the parents happy. Mm-hmm. Which they certainly are if their kids are more clean cut and are not questioning authority. Mm-hmm. No mustaches allowed. Except for the president. I think that was his secret motivation. <laughs> is he wanted to be the only person on campus with a sweet, sweet mustache. Mm. And his wasn't that sweet. It was like a he was like a He had like a pencil thin mustache. Like a, he had a villain mustache. Kind of poro. I thought it was a pretty good mustache. Yeah. It's definitely a different look than our hero Johnny's mustache. Mm-hmm. But still, I thought at least a pretty good mustache. Now on to the mustache, because it played a very misleading role for me. I already talked about how <laughs> the cover of the issue was misleading as to its content. And I was curious if you think that was on purpose um, and to what extent it was. Because there are a couple of possibilities. First of all, my suspicion is that when they gave the order to Nick Cardi to make the cover, that the issue had not mm-hmm. been written yet. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, draw us a cover about unrest on campus mm-hmm. that's the 70s yeah 1971 it's a very hot topic mm-hmm. but it occurs to me that that also would be a pretty decent way to sneak in like a trojan horse the message of the comic book which is you have on the issue that the hippies are attacking kid flash with their picket signs and that unrest on campus is a bad thing and that needs to be squelched mm-hmm. you get the parents to buy their kids the comic book or at least say yeah you can buy that comic book mm-hmm. that's got a good message and then, once they open it, hey, turns out we need more unrest on campus, not less unrest. I think it's a nice theory. and I, I should grow I, a sweet, sweet mustache. I think you can make it fit, but I think it's not the case. I think it is probably much more likely that Cardi had drawn the cover before the issue was written. Yeah, I'm going to go with Occam's Razor on that one. Yeah, okay, fine. With, you're going to go with what? The simplest explanation. is. Oh, Occam's likely. Razor. Okay. I thought you said Aquafreeze. And what do you get against Aquafreeze? No, it's good stuff. Is that a uh, is that the hairspray you used to use in the eighties? Oh, that was Aquanet. Oh, my bad. Incidentally, Aquanet is like 
Aqualad and Aquaman's mortal enemy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably... if you throw a net on either of those guys, they are hosed. It's pretty much a net in a can too. Oh, you know, it's bad. Oh, it's bad in that it's a net in a can. Well, it's good if you want your hair to stay a certain shape, but okay, I wasn't sure to what to what extent we were getting product placement from Aquanet here. Oh, yeah, is that still? I don't even know if that's still a thing. I have no idea. Yeah, brought to you by Aquanet. At any rate, the reason the mustache was misleading to me is it was more than halfway through the story before I was convinced that Johnny Adler was not in fact Robin in disguise. <laughs> Oh, that's funny that you say that because I I had a like like who is this guy? Is that he seems too old for campus because of this because of this? It's mustache. a very manly stash. It, it's a good. Got. It's like a handlebar mustache. It's nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he and I was like, where's Robin? And this guy's got dark hair, and he's on a campus, which mm-hmm. you know, Robin's a college student yeah, at this well, point. That's college. been made abundantly clear. Yep. And he starts off the issue by eavesdropping, mm-hmm. like. Straight Titan style yep, there. Right out of there. I really, it really wasn't until we saw the shack that he was living in and Kid Flash brought him groceries that I'm like, okay, if it was Robin, he probably would have been able to sneak off campus. I love... <laughs> but I really was pretty sure it was Robin up until that point. The ridiculousness of, <laughs> of the Johnny Adler character just tickles me. So here's this kid. He goes to college and he's like, man, something weird is going on on campus so i'm gonna move to a shack that's up in the hills outside of the campus right but the only way that i can leave the shack is to go through the campus like there's no other way around he planned poorly in that regard i I think he was was a prisoner of the college campus in his own escape shack he did such a bad job no he did a very bad job which is how you know it's not robin robin would have been able to get at least sneak into the cafeteria and get himself his own cookies that was i love that part where he's like i can't even go to the cafeteria without (laughs) people trying to hunt me down and beat me up i have to run back to my shack yeah yeah, he didn't plan particularly well. Although, Kid Flash is kind of a dick to him in that he rescues him from being attacked by this mob of mind control students. Mm-hmm. The kid's like, all right, take me here. Here's where I'll be safe. Get me back to my shack. Gets him to the shack. And then Johnny tells him his story. And Kid Flash is like, I got to go meet back up with my grandpa. Um, I'll go get you some groceries, but you stay in your shack, Johnny. Like, he could have just taken him out of town. I, you know, for whatever reason, that didn't occur to me. And really? I, yeah. And when, when Kid Flash brought him those groceries, I was like, that is so considerate. <laughs> I was like, yeah, nice consolation prize. I was like, you what? get groceries, but you could have had freedom. What kind of 17 year old would think to do that? Oh, that was just, it just, it warmed my heart. It that. was, it was thoughtful of Kid Flash, I guess, would have been a lot more thoughtful rather than bring him a big pile of cookies. Which, the groceries that we see that he has received are cookies, a box of milk, Mm -hmm. and crackers. It's it's all good Everything a growing boy needs when he hasn't eaten for days. Also, Kid Flash is on the fence about Johnny's sanity. Yeah. He's like, maybe it's safest if we leave him in this cabin. (laughs) Because that's how you treat insanity. Is to put it, isolate it, put it in a cabin. Yep. In you a don't, shack. You know, don't release and it. And give it some the, cookies. Into the general Don't get it population. to a mental hospital. Don't get it someplace where it can no, get treatment. Those are in the cities. There's danger. <laughs> Fair enough. Milk, cookies, cabin. What'd you think of uh, Professor Ira West? 
you know, for the two panels or so that he was there, he seemed like a nice old man. He is. I, I liked the inclusion Grandpa. of him, and I liked how he was uh, characterized as... It is consistent with the way that Professor Ira West is treated in the Flash comic books as being scatterbrained and very absent-minded, mm-hmm. where... He's like, oh, Wally, it's, I can't believe you want to go all the way to this campus to hear my lecture. Mm-hmm. And Wally's like, no, I've told you several times, Grandpa, that's not why I'm going to campus. I'm going to go check out the campus because I want to go to college next fall. You go do your lecture. I'm going to poke around and see what's what. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed the characterization. And I thought it was consistent with how he's treated in the rest of the DC universe, mm-hmm. which was nice. What do you think about the artwork? It was different, but it was good. I, I thought it was well done. It looked a little... A little weird, because I guess I'm so used to... You get pretty Cardi. used to Cardi. It's it's not bad. I think that George Tusca gets treated pretty pretty unfairly. He had a very long run on Iron Man and the Hulk over at Marvel, mm-hmm. and is, I feel, often remembered as being kind of bland to bad filler art, uh, in, in a similar way that people remember a guy named Don Heck. I think that Tusca did a really nice job with this issue, and he has done some of... I, he did the first issue of Luke Cage Hero for Hire, which I liked a lot, and he mm-hmm. did a few of those. I really like his work on the Hulk. I think part of the reason he gets maligned is he could work very, very quickly and did a very serviceable job for the most part, uh, but without a ton of flair, and it kind of helped create the Marvel house style. Mm-hmm. And so because his style was the one that was emulated by a lot of other artists, and they would try to be like him because he could work quickly, and they would try to recreate the look of his characters. Mm. It gets treated as being a very mediocre art style. And I think he's better than that. That being said, I do feel it's a step down from Nick Carty's art. Yeah, there's the few scenes where there's the mob of college kids. It's almost like a little bit comical, the the way that they're they're drawn to look like giant like hands and super, yeah, like yeah, the very stereotypical zombie looking. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I miss Nick Cardi's art, but he did a very nice job on the cover. And I think that George Tosca, for the most part, does a very good job on this. And I actually really like the work that he did on the Hawk and Dove backup feature. Yeah, that was good. And also, it didn't distract whatsoever from the story. There no. isn't really, other than, you know, maybe is, the, is, is that dude at the beginning, Robin? It didn't really distract from who was who and what was happening. So, I have a theory, too, about Dr. Pauling's first name. Mm. Aaron. Aaron Pauling? A Pauling. <laughs> oh! Because his plan is A Pauling. Yeah. His treatment of the students is A Pauling. But I didn't go fully up in arms against him. I'm like, yeah, for the most part, I'm like, yeah, teenagers are pretty annoying. Maybe they should have chips in their brain. Mm. You know? The fact that everyone on campus had apparently visited him up until that point mm-hmm. to get brainwashed and were like, you say you want to give me a brain surgery? I don't know. And then he's like, it's a minor brain surgery. And they're all just like, sold. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't really using their brains anyway. Yeah. But when they kidnap Johnny, they take his mustache. Mm. Not cool, man. He is bummed. He, he is bummed. But I think that was maybe what gave him the impetus to fight through the mind control mm-hmm. and really save the Titans. Yep, it was exhausting, and he did a good job. He did a good job. It almost wiped him out. Mm-hmm. The last uh, thing is he stumbled to the floor. He yanked that loudspeaker cord out of the wall. And mm-hmm. No more mind control. No more mind control, and all of the students, they're just going to have another minor surgery, remove the brain chip. Mm-hmm. It'll be fine. They're assured there'll be no brain damage. Nope. That was one thing he was right about. Yep. 
good deal. Mm-hmm. But bad doctor. Although, fairly impressive. I mean, his plan's fucked up, but he did a good job. The parallels to ADD or ADHD here occur to me. Yeah. Because in the, the first, like, creepily overheard conversation, the kid's just like, basically, he's in there, goes to the school psychologist who's like, I'm having trouble studying. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I had trouble studying, too. He's like, what's the problem? He's like, I'm distracted, you know? And he's like, oh, you need this brain chip. And he's like, a brain chip? Tell me more. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Where Johnny is out in the lobby, and it is ridiculous that he just gets to, whoever's in the lobby and the receptionist, get to listen in on the whole shebang of the therapy session. The door is not soundproof. The door is not soundproof. The door is not even... Maybe it's not even closed. It looks closed, but I mean, you can hear it clear as a bell in the other room. It's cardboard. Because Johnny's not trying to eavesdrop. He's trying to read his magazine. Campus Digest. College Digest. Oh, yeah. (laughs) One of two very good magazine titles in this comic book. (laughs) What was the other? In the Hawk and Dove story, the bad guy is purchasing poetry magazine. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which Hawk is very derisive of. Oh, yeah. They need a magazine for that. Yeah. So yeah, there are a couple other things I wanted to touch on in the issue, uh, and, and specifically in, in the first part in this story. First of all, they are just ping-ponging back and forth between their two sets of costumes now. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. And it's unsettling. Like, now they essentially have three secret, like, three different costumes, because they've got presumably a civilian identity, mm-hmm. they've got their jumpsuits, mm-hmm. and then... Three of the five Titans have superhero costumes, too. Mm -hmm. But Mal and Lilith don't have costumes. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're as good at secret identities as they think they are. Because if you see five dudes hanging out, wearing matching jumpsuits, Mm -hmm. okay, these guys are part of a team, but I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Then you see two of the people in jumpsuits hanging out with three people wearing different costumes. I would maybe assume that those are the same three people. Mm-hmm. Because Mal and Lilith don't have any secret su- su- superhero mm-hmm. identities, and they're not wearing costumes, and Wonder Girl's costume doesn't have a mask either way. They're constantly changing back and forth between uniforms to not attract suspicion. Seems fairly disingenuous. Also, hey, didn't they take a vow to never use their cost- their powers again? Well, that's the other thing that seems to be pretty inconsistent, not only across the team, but... With the individual members. Yeah. So Flash, Flasher. Yeah. Is just like... Yeah, whatever. I'll do this whenever I want. Yeah. It's just, I'm just going fast. It's not like yeah. I'm going to get anybody killed. And the <laughs> other guys are still a little freaked out by the... Are uh, they? I don't think they are. Well, they start off by trying to uh, to quell the violence from the brain-controlled crowd of college students by just fighting regular... Right, but I think that's we're too exhausted. We're actually going to hurt these guys if we keep doing it. So we have to use our powers now. I think I think that it was said that stated that the reason they weren't using their powers was because they didn't want to attract suspicion that they were actually the Teen Titans rather than the New Titans. Who I don't know if they have a team name when they're in their jumpsuits, other than they refer to themselves as the New Titans. Look, but it didn't seem to be a moral issue or have anything to do with the vows that they had taken. It was just oh, this will protect our secret identity, will be busted. They're already doing a shitty job. At, so They're doing yeah, a terrible maybe, job. Maybe, I think you're right. The moral conundrum has, has faded off. Yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, things. I guess we took a vow a while ago, but fucking forget it. Which, yeah. 
I don't like it when they just drop a storyline like that, which totally seems what they did. But at the same time, kids are fucking mercurial. They're teenagers. And I get that this shit happens. They're super-powered teenagers. You're going to want to use the powers. I just think there should at least be a nod to, you know what, we're going to use our powers again. Like, I, I feel like there there should be some acknowledgement of the fact that now we've got both these sets of things going on. And it's a little bit confusing. You guys remember when we took that vow, man? That was dumb. Let's not do that anymore. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> there, we just fixed your issue. You're welcome, Steve Skeets. Mm-hmm. We'll say overall, I think Steve Skeets did a good job. He is. Whenever I hear his name, though, I just I think of that uh, things I bought at Sheets. Sheets. Oh, yeah, that is a very nice web series you guys should check out. It's by uh, Justin McElroy, and I'm sorry, I forget the other person's name, but it's a very nice web series. You should. It's funny. I can't see his name without things I bought at Skeets. <laughs> <laughs> See, I always think of Lil Wayne. Tall, uh, y'all, skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> <laughs> so there was one thing, one other thing that I did want to bring up, which was a piece of banter that I think I know how it was intended, but it is difficult to tell. The punching scene. The punching scene. There is a scene where Speedy, I believe, and Mal are both punching the same guy. Mal punches the guy first and says something to the effect of, Hey, Whitey, can't you punch any harder than that? Or he sees Speedy punching a guy Mm -hmm. and says, Hey, Whitey, can't you punch any harder than that? And he has a smile on his face. That strikes me as playful banter. Mm -hmm. Speedy's response, which I think is intended as playful banter, but we haven't seen enough of the relationship between Mal and speedy to establish that that is the fact and so it comes across as very uncomfortable he says something like you keep telling me what to do i'll start thinking you don't know your place it's difficult because it is printed text and so we can't hear the inflection on it i want to believe i and i think that it is intended as playful banter between them where they're close enough friends that they can joke about issues of race Mm -hmm. and isn't wouldn't it be silly if i thought that we have not seen enough of their relationship to establish that. I don't think that their relationship has been written in a way that has earned that being taken as fact that, oh, yeah, of course. No, they're they're very close. They're very good friends. Of course, Speedy doesn't feel that way. We don't know if Speedy feels that way. I we re- suspect that he doesn't. But well, The way that it was drawn, I read it as banter, but also like uncomfortable banter because he's like, okay, I got to play along, but I only know how to say really offensive things so i'll just try one and see how it goes yeah it 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 didn't really work for me Mm -hmm. i i see what they're getting at but it i don't know i I come out of that thinking not well of speedy in that and and i feel like that was a it was i feel a disproportionate response at the very least but i just wanted to address that real quickly i think that being said it's a really cool panel And, and it's up there for one of my favorite panels because they're both just punching the shit out of dudes. They are. I, I think the writing was attempting to show unity. Yeah. You know, by 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 using banter, it just came out. I think it was too, but it 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 came it didn't come across well. Well, it's also like if you watch like the exploitation movies, like you know from the seventies, like yeah. on the Pam Greer stuff. Like the the if you were to put that in context now, you're just like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't believe they let them make movies with that's true. And th- like that is the other thing is that that would it, this was nineteen seventy one. It was a very different time. But I just felt that it should be addressed. You ready to move on to the backup story, the Hawk and Dove story? Sure. 
It's a weird fucking story. Yeah, um, I thought that uh, I was hoping Dove had <laughs> learned how lame it was to be a pacifist, <laughs> yeah. but nope, apparently nope. we're back he's, to, I'm going to walk around alleys and look for crimes and not do anything about he, them. Uh, he was investigating, and frankly, his investigative and let's wait a little bit longer style served him better than Hawk's I'm going to lurk around in alleys with binoculars <laughs> and, and start punching without learning the facts approach. Um, I will say I thought that Tuska's artwork really shone in the backup feature. I think he did a really nice job with both Hawk and Dove. And I liked that Dove was wearing a nice wide tie. The widest tie I've ever seen in real or otherwise. Oh, th- these weren't photographs, Corey. This, this, these were drawings. That's the, the otherwise part of it. Just, oh, okay. Just in, in general. It's, it's the widest tie you've ever even seen conceived of. Yeah. It's a pretty wide tie. I don't know if I'd go that far. Clowns. Like, clowns were very I was, wide I was just going to say, it's wider than any clown It's wider than a cloud tie. A clown's tie. Yeah. It's wider than a clown's tie. Yeah. Dog grease. Yeah. It's a big tie. Yeah. Thanks, Finn. I love my dog, I but he doesn't do know shit about men's fashion. That's true. Hey guys, this is Hub. At this point in the recording, my dog started barking and I paused the recording for a minute and I did not start recording again when I thought that I did. So there's a few minutes of dialogue missing here. I apologize for that. I assure you we didn't say anything worthwhile. You know, much like we hadn't the rest of the issue. But the audio appears to pick back up right when I had asked Corey what his favorite dialogue was. So that's what's happening right now, and I'm sorry for the screw-up on my part. Entirely my fault. Enjoy. His name is Johnny, and he's confused. That's nice. That brought a smile to my face. And then the other one is um, is the closing panel, where it's uh, Wally uh, waxing philosophical to himself, saying, Is the will of the majority really that weak? Is it really that easily subverted okay my favorite was hawk seeing through his binoculars that somebody was buying a poetry magazine and saying a poetry magazine oh well i guess it takes all kinds that that cracked me up too yeah uh what was your favorite panel again i i had two choices both from the first you know main story one is on page three that I titled Hordes of Students, and it's the one where there's this, like, jo- uh, giant zombie-like, like, like menacing. Throng of Stepford students. Yeah. Who are, the lead guy is, like, super-duper buff and uh-huh. scary. I don't know. It had a, had a fun kind sure. of feel to it. And the other one is on page 15, which I titled Crazy Pauling. That was mine, too. I wrote down Bonkers Pauling. <laughs> He's losing That was shit. my favorite. It's He is drawn... So cartoonishly insane looking mm-hmm. in that panel. It is Pauling when he's being taken away by the police and he goes off on a rant about how I'm only doing what you wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. But his eyes are like fully dilated and facing in different directions. Different and he is sizes. a raving maniac and it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my favorite panel as well. Good choice. So, who's your favorite Titan? Uh, as for me, kind of a no-brainer, but I'm going to have to to go with Kid Flash on this. I really like that he brought groceries <laughs> to uh, to uh, Johnny. 
He oh, did bring Johnny some groceries. That was very that, sweet of him. That was a nice move of him. And I liked him. his his waxing philosophical at the at the end, where like, <laughs> geez, is that really all it takes, man? It's a few brain chips and yeah, damn. Well, I'm gonna go with Dove. Okay. Uh, his leap of intuition that helped him solve the counterfeiting <laughs> ring. His his love of poetry. His love of poetry and wide ties. <laughs> Really endeared me to him. Yeah, wide tie is pretty sweet. It's a pretty sweet. I still wide think tie. he needs to get his shit together, though, man. Like, because he, he needs. He to doesn't get understand it. what pacifism means. It's starting to no, bother he's me. Kind of a dummy. Yeah, it, it's. It really does seem to convey the image that, like, he doesn't necessarily not believe in violence. He just doesn't want to do it himself. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, not really. No, it's yeah. kind of worse in some ways. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll be uh, thoroughly noble by being a manipulative prick. Exactly. Yeah. yeah not cool. Which I is did... why he's my favorite Titan. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I had a runner-up favorite, too, which was just based on one panel, and it's uh, in which Lilith is, like, totally, like, throwing some guy crazy She does some good judo. And Wonder Woman's just like, what? what's up with you? Like, what, what are you doing? You've got some judo into you. Yeah. And she says that she's been taking judo classes because yeah, she wanted to taking, do her part. Taking lessons. Yeah. Good for her. her. And she's got this big grin on her face while she's like smashing this dude into the pavement. <laughs> That's just, it's adorable. It's nice. So, what do you think Aqualad's up to? Mm. Yeah, I was, I was afraid you'd ask that. I, I think that after all the heavy stuff that he's been involved with, mm-hmm. he's needing some downtime. Okay. It's really, uh, too, especially after all the, the scares, the last few scares he's had with just being away from Liquid for too long. <laughs> yeah. He's like, man, I just, I want to hang out in Atlantis. And I think that he's got a lab. Yeah, yeah. In in his his, his what kind of a lab? Pad, like a science lab. Okay. I think that he's really into cephalopods. Who isn't? Right. And he's got Topo for a pal. He's got Topo for a pal, but I think he's just been tripping out, and he's like, why aren't there any like small, cute cephalopods? So it's a genetics lab that he has. Uh, yeah, sure. So he's got a, a genetics lab, among other things. I mean, he's he's probably got some other technology in there that's pretty sure. Great. It's Atlantis, right? Yeah. No, very scientifically advanced, despite the fact that they have yet to work out a, a working bucket. So, despite the lack of the bucket, I, I think that what Aqualad is probably up to was inventing the pygmy squid, which is the smallest squid we got. How small is it, Corey? It's about an inch. That's pretty small squid. Yeah, and it uh, it clings to uh, seagrass, and it's got the sticky stuff on it, so it can cling to the seagrass and then, like, stick all of its tentacles out and wave them around and do whatever it needs for that while it sticks on the grass, which is pretty <laughs> fucking For adorable. those of you only listening, Corey is doing some very, very interesting physical work doing his impression <laughs> I got, of this pygmy squid. Dude, I got two arms guys and two legs. Out. It's the best. And yet. It's the best I can and do. Yeah, I, I'm seeing it. I'm also in an easy chair. That's like my grass. <laughs> Woo, look at me. <laughs> it's very well done. I'm impressed. Pygmy squid. Bam. He was inventing the pygmy squid. Working on it at least. Okay. Know. That's a very interesting theory. <laughs> Thank you. You're wrong. No, I was afraid of that. Well, what Aqualad was probably up to was he was going back and visiting his old pal Nessie in Scotland. <laughs> oh, that sexy beast. <laughs> 
No, he fought the beast with. Uh, he it had all of those gorgeous curves. Gorgeous curves. <laughs> um, That's right. But he's he's formed a special rapport with this beast, so he's heading back there on his way. He on his way to Scotland, stops by England, sees that there is a fire going on. Mm. He does not want uh, he does not want anybody to get hurt in that fire. Mm-hmm. So he jumps directly from the ocean into the fire, rescues some people, but. He went head first into the flames of that fire. Mm-hmm. And so as he emerges carrying these children out, he has sea strengthened physiology. Mm-hmm. So he can withstand briefly this intense heat. Okay. Especially as his head He's was wet. Totally wet. Mm. But it creates this steam just rising off of his head, mm. giving him to onlookers as though he's wearing a hat made out of fog. Oh. Now some people saw him wearing that mm. and they thought fog hat, eh? <laughs> they see him riding away on his pal Messi mm. slowly. Mm. Taking it easy. <laughs> <sighs> and from that day forward a legend was formed. <laughs> Fog, fog and that my friend yes fog, the band fog hat was, was inspired to write form a band and write their classic hit slow ride take it easy oh jeez. by aqualad and that Corey, is what aqualad was probably up to i'm glad he's keeping it musical well, it's not entirely. He's been up to a lot of things, but uh, uh, yeah, he rescued he, some kids just, and everything. But Fog he, Hat, man. He, well, he inspired them. He never met these these British musicians. That was he, later. He just, yeah, they just. Uh, well, no, they formed the band right then. Seventy one. Seventy one. But they were inspired by him rather than uh, being friends with him or even directly interacting with him. I don't know if they even acknowledged mm-hmm. that that was the genesis of the band mm-hmm. and their wonderful name. Fog hat. Hmm. But it really did look like Aqualad was wearing a hat made out of fog. You know, I've always wondered, why would you name a band Fog Hat? <laughs> because it's awesome! That's why you would name a band Fog Hat. Well, now we know. I always thought that Fog Hat sounded like it was like one of the backup G.I. Joe characters. Like... <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, Fog Hat, Loose Leaf, get in here! Yeah. Um, yeah, Loose Leaf is the G.I. Joe's accountant. Oh. Um, Loose leaf. Snow job was Good busy. Uh, well, snow job was busy working in the frozen food section of the warehouse. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, not not snow job. Snow job is their is an actual GI joke. Snow, snow globe is. is their pal <laughs> who works in the frozen food section. I have this whole idea. I'm looking to pitch that is about re- GI Joe reserve members for one weekend a year or one weekend a month, keeping the world safe mm. from Cobra, mm. doing their part. Hasbro, contact me. G.I. Joe Reserves, I got a lot of them. Loose Leaf, Run Runner, <laughs> Flip Flop. Um, <laughs> the recreational expert. This seems like as good a time as any to end the podcast. It's, it's, I uh, don't want to give away too many of your marketable ideas. No, no, no. There's gold in them, there. Thoughts. are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, prospector hub. <laughs> Yeah, you went full pirate there for a second. Oh, did I? Yar! <laughs> like, you know, like a prospector would say. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey. You're welcome.
And thank you, dear listener, for joining us as well. If you would like to contact us, please do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page or Tumblr blog, which is ttwasteland.tumblr.com. Yeah, we love hearing from you, and we have gotten some wonderful feedback. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you feel like leaving us a review on iTunes, we would love that. And have a good time, and keep on keeping on. Keep being uh, space. Take it easy. Yeah. Take it easy. And they know it.